Hello and welcome to Evolving Enterprise. We'll talk to businesses here in the city of Johnstown, Cambria County, Pennsylvania, and surrounding areas. In particular, businesses that have been sustainable over multiple generations in this Rust Belt region by expanding their reach to outside territories, whether it be across neighboring counties, the tri-state area, the nation, or across the world. I'm your host, Russ O'Reilly, reporter for the Tribune Democrat. Now, let me introduce you to our guests today and give you some background for their story. Jeff Dodero is owner of United Jewelers, a full-service jewelry store on Johnstown's Main Street, established in 1917. Tadero succeeded his father as owner, and his father succeeded Oscar Zion, the son of the original owner, Abraham Zion. In this episode, Tadero tells a story about his business, which has had one location owned by a succession of two families for 106 years. I found this, and I wanted to read this to you to get this podcast kicked off. So this is from the Historic American Buildings Survey, Historic American Engineering Record. And this is a book titled The Character of a Steel Mill City. And it goes over four neighborhoods of Johnstown. So during the hectic decade of the 1850s, the character of downtown commerce changed dramatically. It was during this time that the first Jewish clothing merchants arrived in Johnstown, mainly from Germany. Through the years, these families established some of the biggest and best-known dry goods and department stores in the city, including Nathan's, Schwartz's, and Klein's. The first bank, Smith, Bell & Company, was founded in 1854, and the Stiles, Allen & Company department store, later to become the Penn Traffic store, was founded the same year. And by 1856, Johnstown boasted 30 grocery stores, 15 dry goods stores, 12 butchers, and a hardware store. So the, the Jewish community really bolstered Johnstown's economy from the earliest days. And, and eventually, Abraham Zion would become part of that, right? Correct. Correct. So it started, I believe, in 1917 is when he started. And from what I understood, the uh, there was three Betts jewelers. Okay. And they started a, a small business, and I think they did primarily uh, repair service and that. And as things continued on, they started carrying merchandise as well. Um, one name was, Le last name was Levine. Uh, if we got a, somebody brought us an old box in, and it had Abraham's eye and something Levine on it. Okay. But I don't never knew the name of the third person that was involved. But eventually both of those returned back to the New York area. And Abraham Zion was left to run the store from then on. And he ended up having four children. Okay. And they ended up, uh, Oscar and Jenny, brother and sisters, ended up running the store up until they retired or they had passed away. Jenny died in 1974, and Oscar retired probably right around 2004, 2005. And uh, like I said, in the meantime, like in 1953, uh, they were looking for some help, basically a stock boy, and they hired my dad. He went to Joseph Johns High School. Tadera, Charles Tadera, like I said, and he hired my da uh, dad as a stock boy. And those uh, duties entailed running errands for the store, maybe running packages to the post office. At the time, I'm not sure in the 50s, but I know when I started, our repairman was located at, in the uh, Johnstown Bank and Trust building, which is now FNB Bank, okay? And uh, I 
we would run the watch repairs back and forth because he worked out of there. He, he had a small shop, also a Jewish gentleman. Uh, his name was Leon Brett. Um, he was actually an Oshawa uh, survivor. He actually had the numbers tattooed on his arm. And uh, he never talked much, but in later years, as he got older, he started saying that one of the reasons he actually survived is because he could repair watches back then. And uh, the German officers kept him around to keep their watches working. It was to their advantage. Okay, so that, that's an interesting side story of it to Leo and Brett. But he did our watch repair probably until the 90s, and then he retired at top. Meanwhile, my, like I said, my duties, and I think my dad's duties as stock boys, like I was running errands, uh, somebody bought something, you know. Back then, downtown was like the hub for commerce, especially in the 50s. Uh, there wasn't much other commerce in the area unless you went to Wimber. They had a small little uh, business district, or Portage would have a business district, you know. But uh, like I said, Jawstown was a hub, and a lot of the people from those areas, South Fork, Portage, St. Michael, uh, Wimber, uh, Seward, they would come to Johnstown to do their major shopping. So like I said, the, uh, my dad would, some of the people, customers would come in, especially the businessmen and that, they would come in and pick out a, a gift and uh, ask to have it wrapped. And sometimes my dad would deliver it to the business or, you know, if it was within walking distance of downtown, they'd make deliveries like that too as well. And now this is 412 uh, Main Street, right? Yes, this was all at 412 Main Street. And and the, what's the history of that building? It was around for quite a while. I'm thinking in, in nature of at least 100 years old. Okay, it was called, a, um, like I said, at one time, um, I believe Bell Coppersmith owned it, who was actually a glosser from the glosser's department store. Okay, and then her uh, son eventually took over the building. He was Lou Coppersmith. I think he was a state senator for a while and an attorney, okay, uh, again, I, I think that's how I remember things going. Okay, yeah, I was, not to interrupt you, I just wanted to get that straightened uh, out. Uh, so your your dad would be taking care of customers, Johnstown was a hub of business Yeah, for multiple areas around around the county, and uh, eventually you, uh, you would enter the picture too, I'm not sure if we're at that point. So when did your father take ownership from the, yeah, from yeah. the Zion. Well, what happened with the Zions, uh, Mr. Zion was probably in his, probably right close to 65, and he was thinking he needs an exit strategy, okay? Because he, you know, we all know we're not going to live forever. We don't want to think about it, but we know we're not going to live forever. And uh, so he set up a, uh, a buyout arrangement. Uh, it was over a 10-year period. Uh, Dad would gain 10% of the business every year, and there was payment plans set up, and you know the business ran, and Mr. Zine would take so much money out of the business every month, okay, for the 10-year period, and then eventually it would become my, my dad's business. That happened probably mid-'80s. I can't remember exactly what year. We talked a lot about the Zion's Jewish heritage, and I wanted, I wanted to talk about your family's Italian heritage. Um, in my life experience, it was an interesting time. I grew up in the 70s. I was a teenager by uh, 73 and graduated high school in 77. I guess I had a lot of friends that were Italian, you know, Italian heritage, same as me. They were, you know, second, third generation Italians in, in the country, not the ones that come over 
directly. My grandfather, my dad's father, was directly from Italy. He was a he was a little older. He was born in actually 1899, and uh, so by the time I was, he was 73 years old by the time I turned a teenager. Do you know about the reasons why your grandfather immigrated to America, and did he, and how did he end up in Johnstown? Well, um, I think there was relatives in the area. Matter of fact, they were all from Sicily. Uh, my grandmother's family had come over previous, and he left Italy when he was about 17 years old, and he never wanted to go back, never said why he came. <laughs> so we don't know if he was running from somebody or something or, or <laughs> what. <laughs> like he never talked about that, which was interesting. But they lived uh, in Prospect. They grew, uh, my dad grew up in Prospect, uh, right at the top of the, the Prospect Viaduct. It was like, uh, there was a Graziana store on the corner, which is no longer there. Uh, and there was a Gallo's Spaghetti House in that same building. And they were the next house on Prospect Street. It was a double house. My grandparents, uh, my grandmother's parents lived on one half of the double. My grandmother, my grandfather lived on the other half of the double. So that was, you know, like that happened a lot in a lot of families too at that time. There was a really uh, close-knit Italian community in Johnstown. Can you talk more about that? Uh, how how close knit the uh, community was, and and why? Um, well, the the communion was uh, a lot of Italians really stuck together. I mean, uh, it was funny because you know, in the public eye, all the Italians kind of stuck together. But there was little you know, cliques and like any organization. Uh, like I said, by uh, we were Sicilian, and some other Italian people were from Calabrese. So they were Calabrizos, and, and there was Bruzzis, and, and they're from different regions of Italy. And like I said, they had they kind of had their own little different traditions, but a lot of the traditions ran close to each other. And like we went to um, St. Anthony's Church in Woodville, I think it's St. Clair now, uh, and that was where most of the Italian families went to church. There was a there was a um, couple other Catholic churches, and. Uh, you know, they were like Irish people or, or, or German people and that. And like I said, but to St. Anthony, was a lot of the Italian people went there. And that's where you really kind of blended in a lot. You know, even though you might have been, families might have been from different parts of the region, you know, Italy. Dialects were a little different in the language and that. So you have the close-knit Italian community in Johnstown, and then you also have the the close-knit Jewish community in Johnstown. And your dad made inroads into that community. Is that was that unusual, or was that? Um, well, you know, a lot of Jewish people. What happened in Johnstown about uh, you know uh, the Jewish community? Well, my dad was probably hired at the store. It was a pretty strong community in Johnstown, but by the time I was hired in the seventies, uh, a lot of the Jewish children had left the area for work, and now the Jewish community is very very small in the Johnstown area. Because a lot of them, as they grew up, they grew up in Johnstown, were educated, and left the area. And uh, the Zion family was a very good family that way. And so my dad became almost like that son because they worked day-to-day -day together and that. And, and they had a good relation. You know, back in the early, uh, in the 60s and 70s, uh, they traveled to, to a lot of shows together for buying shows and stuff like that. So they developed a real good relationship that way. Plus, they worked together all the time back in those days. I basically started the same as my dad 
The dad was working there, and I was looking for a job because I wanted to have some money in my pocket. So when I started uh, Johnstown High, which was over right across from the War Memorial, the, the original building in 1974, which was my first day at 10th grade, was also my first day of work at United Jewelers. So like I said, I basically came over after the store, and, and uh, there was a stock boy that was there was going to college, and he was ready to leave. So he kind of showed me his duties. Back then, we had a hard floor. It had to be swept every day. Uh, at the end of the day, that was part of your closing uh, routine. Well, a lot of times when I first came there, the first thing I did was grabbed a, a bucket, a sponge, and a squeegee, and we cleaned the front windows every, almost every day, unless it was extremely cold or, or something like that. Again, a lot of times I would have to run two, three times a week. I'd be running the watches back and forth to the repairman, just like my dad had started. Uh, if Mrs. Zine, or Miss, not Mrs. Zine, Ms. Zine, Jenny Zine, uh, had some friends that lived over in at that time, the towers, and uh, sometimes she'd ask me to deliver something to them. Sometimes it was something like soup or something like that. <laughs> you know, like I said, it was like I said, it was that kind of a thing. You know, whatever errands they, the designs wanted, you, you did. Again, I delivered packages for customers and stuff like that in post office or, and like I said, there was all kinds. Sometimes I'd be sent to, um, uh, Janet, the Oriole Supply, which was Coons and Young, they were up at the end of Main Street, close to where Supus is. Okay. So they have to go up there and pick some cleaning supplies up for the store. You were all over the city. Yeah, I had walked all over the town. It was, like I said, I knew a lot of places in the town. Sometimes when you see some of these old pictures, you see that building, you say, oh, I forgot that was there. You know, as soon as you see it, it sparks a memory, but you kind of forgot that stuff was there. And, uh, so, like I said, going on, like I said, when you weren't running around or doing the windows or something like that, uh, the store stocked a lot of giftware, crystal. We had glassware, uh, glasses and barware and that. There was a room in the back, which is now we use as an office previous to the flood. That was a room back there. It was called the gift shop. And uh, so you say previous to the flood. I'm sorry to interrupt you. So you said previous to the flood and, and you mentioned... Uh, thinking back and remembering the buildings that were once there that you for, kind of forgot, did it did the drop off of population and and businesses downtown? How did that unfold from your perspective from from your memory? Was it like all at once? Was it like uh, over time? Well, what was funny was like I said, I started in '74. I started high school. Uh, it was my first you know day at high school. Was first day at work. I was not quite 15. And uh, about November of that year, one night, one evening, and they were closing. And uh, just before we left the store, they were standing around talking. Well, the mall opens this weekend. I'm going, mall? What mall? <laughs> it was the opening of the Richland Mall. So it actually started that year. That had a major effect on downtown because it, already you had some businesses you had uh you know, a lot of businesses that had moved up into Richland, when the mall opened, it was like a whole new list of competitors coming into the area. Uh, and then in the mid-70s, 74 through, say, 77, I don't remember exactly, well, the 77 flood, um, the business was strong, the community was strong, the meals were going strong, there was the mines around here were going strong, so there was a lot of money in the area uh, people had good-paying jobs, and there was money to be spent in the area. I don't remember exact dates for the downturn, but as the mill started 
closing down certain divisions and, you know, eventually it went away altogether. Um, jobs went away and there was actually in the eighties, I can remember I was just married then. I got married in 1979, December. So in the early eighties, uh, there was a lot of people that would, were in the area that were leaving the area for jobs because the mills were closed. There was no opportunity, especially if you were on the younger end of the, uh, workforce, you know, like I says, uh, the mills were still open. Uh, a lot of the senior mill, because of union uh, seniority, they kept their jobs, but the younger guys were getting laid off or terminated. Okay. And a lot of them left the area. I know at the big time, I think there was a big push in the oil. A lot of people moved to Texas. Some of them came back in a few years and that, but like I say, moved to Texas for work. Some never came back. But as, as things continued on, as I started noticing the accident of population simply because there was no work for people to stay in the area. You, know, you always have kids that come out of high school and they want a new adventure so they have to leave town or go to college and they leave town and that. But like I said, there, a lot of people would prefer to stay close to their family and the opportunities weren't there and they ended up leaving town. So that was another big change in the, the commerce. And now you have a shrinking population and you have businesses spread out all over the area, not just in that hub of downtown like there was in the 50s and the 60s. Right. Uh, so. Well, United Jewelers has survived all of that. Um, you know, how many, how many floods? Two? Well, two floods, yeah. Two floods? Yeah. 1936, right, in 1977? Yeah. And all those economic downturns and, uh, the, you know, the, the exodus of population while other businesses left, you know, United Jewelers has always been there. And how, how do you explain that? How we explain that? Um, I think part of the reason is we're always been family. I mean, the Zion family and now the Tadero family, always been family oriented. And we kind of work with our customers, the people. We, we don't treat them as a dollar sign. We treat them as a, you know, eventually a lot of them end up becoming friends and, you know, like I said, not say socializing with them, but you, you knew what their kids were doing and and, you know, this kid was ready to go to college and, and stuff because you sold them their engagement ring, you sold them anniversary gifts over the years. And like I said, you build a relationship with them. Plus, we always, you know, had a, uh, a fairly uh, um, decent repaired services. And that draws a lot of people in the area. And there's a lot of places that you compete with, like the big box stores and a lot of bigger chains and that. And uh, they sell you stuff but they don't really service much. So the service and the United Jewelers, I think, has always kept it going because if you get people in the store to, to have a repair, even simple watch battery or something, they're in your store. They're looking at your merchandise, and that's always kind of kept the business going. Plus, we're a small operation. Our, our expenses and overhead are low, so we were able to support even as the business slowed down. I mean, quite honestly, we're not doing the numbers that we did uh, 25 years ago, but we're doing enough business that we can all take home a paycheck and eat every day. And, and, uh, so like I said, that's where we, well, we've managed to stay afloat. Yeah. Over the, the whole course of the business of history, can you talk about the more, the biggest challenges were? Biggest challenges were always, you know, competition, of course, you know, you know over the years and the years I've been here, we've had, uh, this guy pop up on the jewelry business, and, and and it's funny. People are curious, and they always want to see the new guy and see what he has to offer and that. 
So anytime somebody popped up, you know, you some people would go to them. Some would, you know, maybe stay with them for a while. Some of them, because they thought it was different, exciting. But a lot of those people ended up cycling back. Sometimes a lot of those guys didn't survive that long in the business either. I can remember there was one uh, downtown that uh, I can't even remember the name of it. Was up on Main Street there. He was in with the furrier and and he had a jewelry store. He'd started out as a like a store manager for one of the chain stores. It might have been Gordon's. Can't remember details and names. Uh, and he can't open the shop downtown. So everybody, especially in that downtown customers, were really direct competitors. So that, uh, yeah, people were going up there, and that's, you know, one less customer. If they only bought one thing a year and they bought it that year off of them, that was one less customer you sold something to. Yeah, those kind of challenges. Plus, the industry itself, like any other retail business, you um, recently, uh, online shopping, you know, has been a major thing. Uh, what's available in the world is available on your phone or your computer, your laptop, or whatever. Like I said, so you have to compete with that, and it's very difficult to have, you know, people come in with a picture of something on your phone, and, oh, I don't have that here. I think I know somebody I might be able to get it from for you. You have a lot of that anymore. And, uh, like, when I first started, there was there was five or six different jewelers in downtown, and they were, as uh, you know, full-service jewelry stores just like us. And if you were shopping for engagement ring, you went to us, you went to April's, you went to Law's, you know, and you looked to see what they had in their inventory and you tried on rings and saw what you like. And uh, eventually you made a decision what was available to you in the jewelry stores in Johnstown. If you were real, you know, you might have drove to Greensburg or Pittsburgh or something like that and shopped a little more. But now today with the online shopping, I can see a thousand different styles and in two hours on the internet. And a lot of them will come in with a picture or something they like. And on the phone, guys especially, they'll come in with a uh, picture of what they like on their phone and then try to find it from one of your suppliers so you can bring it in for them to see it in person instead of like, yeah, jewelry's one of the, jewelry's one of the more difficult things to buy online, which has always helped us. And I think that's why we've managed to stay, you know, because you take things like uh, Levi jeans. You know your size and what number Levi jeans you got. You can buy them anywhere you want. You can order them anywhere you want. Yeah. Even the watch industry is a little like a bull of a watch. You know, a bull of a uh, watch style number, such and such. If you see it online cheaper, you know what it's going to look like because you might have seen it in my store. You know, so you have to compete with that. But when it comes to other pieces of jewelry, it's, it's a lot different. The way you went through the list of the other jewelers that used to be downtown. Are you the the only jeweler downtown now? That I'm aware of, yes. And how far is your uh, customer territory? Well, really, it's probably the surrounding area, Johnstown area, for the most part, and it probably takes care of 80, 85% of the customers. Uh, I mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of people exited Johnstown for work and that. So I do draw customers um, from basically all over the country, but you know, not in a large quantity. I, I have a, uh, uh, I'm actually repairing a watch for a customer right now that lives in Florida now, okay? And uh, they actually lived two doors away from me when I first got married. 
And uh, eventually, again, that was one of the effects of the mill closing. Our parents worked in the mill, and they ended up moving to Florida for work. And they ended up staying in Florida. So um, the parents are gone, and uh, the two daughters still, if they get back to town or they'll send me work from Florida or call me and say, can I get this or that for them? You know, that's just one incident. There's others. There's other incidents. Same deal. You know, um, I mentioned too. A lot of kids they leave high school or get out of college, and they end up working, say, D.C. or Virginia or something like that. But their family's still in Johnstown, so a lot of those that uh, will come back to shop for major purchases to when they're home visiting, they'll shop for major purchases and stuff like that. So, the the areas. Yeah, it's hard to say, but like I said, probably 80% of our business is done probably between Evansburg and Somerset, Wimber, and maybe Seward, you know. And uh, there's something really interesting that I wanted to get back to, and that's the way you transitioned from um, Aaron Boy to owner of, of, of the business. Like I said, we had a lot of glassware in the store, and I used my job was to clean it when I wasn't running places, okay. So you'd stand there and you'd listen to my dad sell. There was another lady, uh, Kathy, that worked there. you listen to them talk to their customers, and you would pick up points, okay, of some of the merchant, you know, about the merchandise itself, uh, just sometimes techniques and stuff like that. So you're standing there listening to her. And a lot of times after the customer would leave and the stuff was still on the com- counter, I'd walk over and just ask my dad, like, you know, you know quick look at this, look at that. My biggest start in selling, okay, uh, probably within uh, six months to a year after I started there, my dad showed me how to do small watch repairs, take links out of watch pans, change watch batteries and stuff, which freed him and the other people up for sale. So when I was there, I was still in school, so uh, you know, I wasn't there all day long, but I can uh, do watch batteries, and that's why they waited on customers. So I, I started with that, and then about the... Um, about the time I graduated from high school, a little before, digital watches came out. Digital watches to my dad, he wasn't too bad, but to Mr. Zine, who was probably in his 60s by then, or late 50s, he didn't want to try to figure out how to work things. Okay, but they were a hot-selling item. As a matter of fact, at that time, they were actually kind of high-priced watches. Um so he'd get his friends coming in. I, I need a digital watch. And well, he'd call me up to show the customer how to work the watches because I knew how to set them. I knew how, you know, how they worked and that. And like I said, so that was my start at selling. I would be assisting Mr. Zime with, you know, showing him how things wouldn't work and that. And then eventually sometimes people just walk in. Everybody else is busy. I just start showing them stuff. So that's how you transitioned into selling. Okay. Nice. Yeah. You're the, the young guy showing the, the old guy's. Than the new merchandise. The new technology. Just like right now, the Apple Watch. I don't know how to work an Apple Watch, okay? And I'm not really interested in learning how to work Apple Watch. So what they were doing with the digital watches, you know, 25, 30 years ago, I am have that same attitude with the, the new technology. So, you know, I guess everything just cycles back around. And then it kind of makes me think of, of things like um, you know, young people are into records. You know, uh, young people are, are into things that things that have come back full circle. Are, are, are watches in that category? Watches are, um, I have a lot of customers uh, for watches. and We don't sell nearly the watches we used to. 
because uh, a lot of people aren't wearing them, period. But there is a, a, a group of people, especially mostly men, that like watches as a collectible item. And they'll come in, they'll come for unique pieces in the watch business, you know, uh, as collectibles. And I think that's kind of saved the watch business as far as that goes. Um, I was just about a year and a half ago, I was talking to the, the bull of a sales rep, and I says, you know, he says, back in the 60s, uh, ladies' watches probably were about 60 to 65% of your watch sales. So men's watches were uh, the other 30 or 40% of the watch sales, mostly because men bought a watch that so they knew what time it was. Women were buying watches as a fashion piece. Okay. The tech, it's changed around now. The guys are buying watches at more of as a fashion piece or a statement piece. And the ladies aren't wearing watches nearly as much. A lot of them are relying on their tech, their phone that they carry in their purse, or a lot of them wearing the, the smart watches and stuff like that. So the way they're, they're in touch with their kids constantly, like if the kids text them, the alert comes up on the smart watches and that. Uh, the women tend to be a little more, not all women and not all men don't, okay, but they tend to be a little more apt to wear the, t the smart watches. And that's kind of slowed down the watch sales for women. You guys not only do watches, but you do other other sorts, sorts of things. Can you tell me about all your services? Well, we, we do, just about anything. Like I said, we do have a repair program. We can repair a lot of pieces of jewelry. Oh, there's some pieces that come in that are, are not sold by us that are poorly made, and it's too risky to try to repair them because chances are you're going to end up with uh, more repair needing than, than them because they're just not poorly made. But most jewelry we can we can repair, so that keeps us, you know, busy, especially on slow times of the year when you're not, you know, like your big selling season, Christmas, Easter, uh, graduation and that, and you're not uh, selling a lot of stuff. The watch business kind of keeps the uh, keeps the bills paid, you know. Uh, you can pay the rent and uh, a lot of times pay the employees because you're doing repair service. You know, every day somebody breaks something on a piece of jewelry or you need a watch battery or, or that type of thing. So you get a lot of people coming in daily as repairs more so than necessarily sales, you know. Of course, you have anniversaries and birthdays all year long too, so that helps too. And you're at that original location on Main Street, and had you, uh, have you ever thought about uh, opening another location somewhere else? Or? Never. Back in the 70s and 80s, and my brother was, um, my brother, like I said, I started from high school. My brother did the same thing when I, he was like two years behind me in high school. So eventually he became the stock boy, and I was doing more sales and repairs and that. He came in, and then he was ready to, um, graduated from high school and he decided to become a uh, bench jeweler, do the uh, goldsmithing work, you know, the repair work and that. So he actually uh, lived in Pittsburgh and worked for a company down in Pittsburgh it's called F.J. Bauer. They were in the Clark building, which is a building full of jewelers, okay, downtown Pittsburgh. He learned the trade as apprentice, worked down as apprentice, okay. So he was working in the store for as a, as a repairman, most of the repairs he was doing at that point, I was still doing the watch bands and stuff like that, but the, the jewelry repair, ring sizing, setting stones, uh, soldering chains, that kind of stuff, my brother was doing all that. About the mid-80s, he kind of got discontented with it, and uh, he kind of left the business and pursued other 
interest in that. So we hired a different jeweler. But when he was in the business, my dad often considered opening the second location because there was three men there, three boys, you know, two boys and him. And he often considered opening a second location. But it just never panned out. It just, like I said, um, my brother really wasn't willing to, he didn't want to be waiting on people like to run a second store or something like that. He didn't mind doing the repair work, but he just didn't really want to be uh, waiting on people on that. So my dad just never really went into that type of uh, thing. We've explored, like when the Galleria Mall opened, we talked to about possibly opening a location in the Galleria Mall. And when the numbers came down, it says, God, you got to do like five times the business you're doing downtown just to break even. And so, again, being conservative and, and just trying to stay steadfast and maintain your business. We never took any real big chances that could have worked well or backfired, you don't know. And like I guess and that's why we always stay where we are at. And in the long run, it's kept us afloat. And like I said, none of us ever got, per se, rich. We all make a comfortable living. But like I said, we none of us are ever going to be millionaires. So what what's the most rewarding part about what you do? I think the most rewarding part is um, repeat customers, satisfy customers. You know, um, like I said, when you get feedback that's positive from your customers, oh, I bought this ring, she loved it, okay. Or some people come in and they'll tell me, you know, because we do a lot of repair work on that, I don't know what we'll do if you ever go out of business or something like that. That always makes you feel good because they really trust you and they really count on you to be there when you're uh, when they need some kind of a jewelry need, which isn't an everyday need for most people. But like I said, that that's probably the most rewarding. And plus, over the years, I've been there close to fifty years. I've seen uh, grandparents, parents, children as customers. You know down over the years and you know the family you know you sometimes even know the aunts and the uncles and stuff like that and that's always rewarding too it kind of becomes like a uh, friends or extended family. it's funny because I have a part-time uh, lady who works for her. she's retired and this is her retirement job and she'll come in and, and uh, I'll say well that one is so-and-so's aunt that was just in here a day or two ago you know, so like I said, the, the relationships between the families and that is, I think, rewarding, you know, that they all trust you. Yeah. So what's the, do you have a plan for sustaining the business into the future, even after you retire? I, as of right now, you know, um, I'm like a lot of business people, small business people. Uh, my children are all, have other careers and not really interested in pursuing the jewelry store as a career. Uh, they actually all make more money than I do, so <laughs> and work a lot less hours. Yeah. So, like I said, I think that's part of the reasons. My one daughter, um, she'll work so like every other Saturday. I have hard time. The way help is these days, it's a hard time to uh, find Saturday help, and so she works every other Saturday. My wife actually comes in the other Saturday. They take turns, and uh, she see, enjoys to be there. But like I said, she couldn't afford to cheaper expenses and family and when I'd be able to pay her as a full-time employee in that and because uh, she makes a lot more the other way and like I said so as far as the kids I don't think there's anybody that's willing to be able to take care of it at this point 
And I don't know how long I'll be going on. I'm in my early 60s now, and my health stays. I'll probably stay at least for another 8, 10 years, probably close to 70 is what I'm thinking. Um, you never know with your health, but there's no... Uh, nobody's expressed interest in probably, you know, coming in and, and maybe buying in or something like that. So I don't know what the future's going to bring, to be honest. So over time, you've seen downtown change. And right now, we're kind of at a time where downtown is developing into something new. And can you talk about that, what you're seeing there? What I'm seeing with the, the new uh, developments in downtown is very positive because, you know, it's nice to see these store buildings that I've been walking past that had nothing in them with something in them. Uh, some of them are um, restaurants and eateries, and uh, they're not creating a lot of a spin-off business for me, although I always say if people come down for one reason, it doesn't mean they won't come over, look in my window, see something possibly, or come in the store, but I'm going down here, I'm going to take my watch in for a battery or something, so like I said, you don't know what it is. But uh, this, like I said, it's nice. I see a couple shops uh, opening up, and and the merchandise looks nice and that. So I'm getting customers that have come in already and say, "Well, I was down here," or they come in with a bag from like the Elevate or or um, Classic Elements. Yes, yeah. I guess that's yeah. Sometimes that's funny because you know where the store is and you don't always remember their names. <laughs> you know, how did United Jewelers get its name? Well, like I said, uh, there were three jewelers that worked together as bench jewelers, and I think that's how they coined the name United Jewelers. Three jewelers working together is what I was always told. What advice do you have for people who want to open a, and sustain a business in, in Johnstown? Oh, if you want to open a business, you better plan on putting a lot of hours in. You know, running a, a small business is not a 9-to-5 Monday through Friday job. Okay, you gotta, first of all, you better be very excited about what you're doing and really kind of like what you're working with, okay, to open a small business. And you better plan on putting a lot of hours and not talking just the hours that the store is open, but also, you know, there will be stuff prep work before, prep work after, you know, responsibilities with bookkeeping, all that kind of stuff has to be taken care of. Um, Especially if you're starting, you're probably going to have to do a lot of that yourself because if you're paying somebody to do it, that's that much more business you got to do to pay all those expenses. Right? Or if you kind of maintain the, you know, the, a lot of that yourself, you're, you can operate on a lot smaller uh, business volume. Uh, as your business volume grows, you may need to take in more help, which is great. That's what we want, you know, was what the business you want the business to grow and be able to uh, support employees and stuff like that and uh but like i said on the startup end of it you better plan on putting in a lot of time and like i said and you gotta kind of have a passion about what you're doing because if not you're gonna just gruntle and say why am i doing this you know that's the biggest thing and of course you know you gotta take care of your customers customers is what feeds you every day and you gotta remember that you know yeah because without them you won't be here Customers are not a bother. Some customers can be a little difficult in that, but a lot of times if you work with them a little bit, you can work around it. Some some people you can't. They're just simply difficult. But, you know, try to be polite to them and courteous and, and take it from there. Yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen you work with your customers in your shop. You had the glasses on. 
yeah. you're looking at uh, a gem or a, a piece of jewelry and you're identifying whether the jewelry included opals or, or like some other sort of of uh, gem and uh, yeah, just your attention to detail and uh, the care that you put into uh, taking care of that customer was was really amazing so I just wanted to tell you that just a, a glimpse of, of, of seeing you in action but so is there anything else that you want to, to talk about? No I think I can't think of anything anyhow I mean I could talk all day long that's what I do for a living well, the good thing is you're just across the street, so if you need to come back, yeah. it's, it's, it's just a quick walk. Well, thanks for coming in, Jeff. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for listening. Until next time, check out other Tribune Democrat podcasts at tribdem.com or platforms including Spotify.